the psalmist wrote, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I am so glad that so many of us are taking him up literally on that promise as we gather today in the house of the Lord. But I'm also glad that for everybody in your house that you have also welcomed the Spirit of God and that you're focusing your attention and your heart's affection to be a part of this with us. So we invite his blessing upon you as well. But we also have to say this, as we celebrate the hope of Jesus Christ, Christ in you is your hope of glory. So you know what? We don't have to go to a house that has his name on it. We are the house. He lives inside his people. And so we welcome the Spirit of the living God to dwell within us, within our worship, but within our fellowship, and then in your home and in our physical space here together. Would you ask God today that the peace of his heart and truth that has your name on it, that he would help you not to miss it? Would you pray that now? wherever you are. Lord, I want to see what you have for me today. Amen? One of the most uh, marvelous things that Jesus ever said, in my view, was when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, that's amazing all by itself, but it's even more epic when you realize that he said it right before he went to a Roman executioner's rack, beaten, bloodied, naked, to be crucified, and what was on his mind? He's thinking, you know, that I'm not just going to go die. I'm going to do a whole lot more than die. And then what we saw was that crucifixion would yield to resurrection, and then resurrection would be transcended in ascension. And then as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, he told his disciples, he said, you know what? When I'm reigning at my Father's right hand, I'm going to be at work. I'm going to go to work preparing a place for you for us to be with him. And then one day, as we have been learning, as we've been seeing once again, he will come again with the clouds on a white horse. His eyes are blazing like fire, and he is the Lamb of God slain, but now the returning lion in a blood-dipped robe as King of kings and Lord of lords to finally and ultimately put an end to evil, to sin, to death, and to injustice, and then take his people to be with him in the place that he's been preparing for you. Is that something? This is uh, the heart of our faith. And Revelation 21 and 22 is about that. They give us the apocalypse. That word simply means unveiling. So today we're going to see the curtain drawn back so that we can get a peek behind it into what is store for every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's real important. If your name isn't written there yet, this is a good day for that to happen, you know, because what we're talking about is for everybody, everybody whose reservation is in place, that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And uh, so that's why I'm asking you today, as God has something with your name on it, don't miss it. Would you pray that today, that God would open the eyes of your heart, that God would help you see 
what he is able to do above and beyond all we ask, think, or even imagine according to his power that he wants to be at work within us and he is preparing us for that place. Flannery O'Connor is an author, a writer who said she explained the use of her bizarre characters by saying this, to the hard of hearing, you shout for the almost blind you draw large and startling figures. And that made me wonder maybe why God gave John these incredible and bizarre images throughout this vision, so many powerful metaphors and symbols, was to try to capture our attention and then to rouse our response. Is anybody paying attention? Well, how about now? How about now? Let's pay attention today. But you know what? At the same time, Martin Luther of the Reformation, he didn't like the book of Revelation. Maybe you can relate to that. <laughs> Maybe you don't like it either. It's like, okay, we've been spending a lot of time in it. He didn't feel that the book of Revelation, he felt it was unfair to warn people to keep commandments in a book that they really couldn't understand. And Maybe you've felt some of that, a little conflicted over the stuff we don't understand. There's a lot of it, right? Uh, maybe you've had some of those feelings as you've made your way through. All the more reason that today, today, would you join me in prayer just saying, Lord, for me, what you have for me today? You know, I don't even know if John fully understood everything he was writing down. Okay? So if you don't understand, you're in good company. But maybe today we could say, Lord, would you show me and help me understand what, you, what has my name on it today? Would you help make it clear to each one of us as we seek you that we will not miss you? Is that your prayer? Then stand with me and let's uh, hear the word of the Lord, Revelation chapter 21. We've been inviting everybody every week to take a moment to stand as we do this. You know why? Because it's nonverbal language and it's telling our head, oh, What's going on? We don't do this. I guess I better pay attention. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And even if you're at home today, we're inviting you to stand right where you are. And let's listen as we hear the vision that God had John write down for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with people, and he will be with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or pain, or crying, for the old order of things passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha 
and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the string of water of life. And he who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, the liars, their place will be the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And one of the seven angels who'd had the seven bowls of the last seven plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And then carried me away to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God and it, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and there were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of, of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. And he, he measured the city with the rod, and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, as wide as it is long. And he measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurements, which the angel was using. The wall was made of, of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations... Um, the foundations of the city wall were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold that was like transparent glass. I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations walk by its light, and the kings of the world will bring their splendor into it. And on no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone whose names are not 
written in the Lamb's book of life. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. What kind of place has Jesus prepared for us? I mean, that's what we're being invited into here. And the first answer is simply this, new. New. Now, in the Greek language, there are two words that are translated new. One of them is chronos, from which we get chronology. It's what's next, you know, the next thing chronologically. The other one is kairos, and that means new in quality, new in kind, like you've never seen anything like this is brand spanking new, right? And that's what God says here. I make everything new. Let's start with the heavens and the earth. I'll make a new environment, New heaven, new earth. You know, science tells us that even now, as we speak, the universe of matter and energy is running down. And yet God's word and God's vision, the God who made the earth and the heaven said, oh, I got that one. I'll just make it new. And that's where it starts, a new environment fulfilled fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah heard Yahweh God speak in 681 B.C., in Isaiah 65, I am making a new heaven and a new earth. And then he says there's no more sea. Now, don't think geography here. Think symbol. Remember, apocalyptic is written in metaphor and symbol. So the, in Revelation, the sea in the book of Revelation was a source. Remember this? The, the satanic beast came up out of the sea. That the sea gave up its dead. In other words, the sea was a place that was a holding tank for the dead. In the, in the Revelation vision, the, uh, in, in ancient times, the sea was viewed as a place of danger and, a, and an enemy. So when God wanted to get his people eat out of Egyptian slavery, what did he do? He parted the sea and opened the place of danger so that they could get through. When Jesus was on the planet and his boat and men were about to be capsized by the threat of a storm on the sea, he speaks and calms it with a word. And now John on Patmos, an island in exile, the sea is his prison wall. But in this vision, there's no sea. <laughs> the new earth means the absence, and the no sea means the absence of that which interferes with God's intended harmony. The old environment is done, the new has come. And so I'm thinking of that scene in Forrest Gump uh, with the house where Jenny had thrown rocks and Forrest says, you know, sometimes there's just not enough rocks. This is what had happened in that house. And, and I, I'm thinking of the scene where the bulldozer comes and just demolishes that place. No more corruption, no more abuse. The house of sin is gone. It's done. It's over. New environment. And now a whole new and kind place that is safe and secure is now in place. What's heaven going to be like? It's new. And it's a new experience, a new environment, and it's a new experience of God. A whole new kind of experience with God. In verse 3, we hear a voice from the throne saying, God is with his people. 
a new community, a new intimacy as with his bride, the holy city descends. So what I think what we're supposed to pick up from this is that this quality of relationship doesn't rise like the Tower of Babel from the earth of human civilization. This one is descending as a gift from God. And he's coming himself in it to be with us in a close, and so close, so new, so fresh, so close, that you're sitting at the table with Almighty God himself, and he could just, so close, he can just reach over and dry a tear from your eye. That's new and up close. That introduces us to a whole new quality of emotion. No more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. Those go with it, don't they? They're all gone. This is so hard to imagine. You know, believers are now done with death, period. It's over. It's gone. It's, it's, we've already experienced the first death. That's the separation from our bodies. We're all going to experience the separation from our body unless the Lord returns and catches us up in the air and transforms us in that process. Talk about that one next week. But at this point... First death, separation from the body. Second death, separation from God. Spiritual death, it's not going to happen. We're on the other side. We're in Christ. We're with God. And we will never be touched or taste death in any way. No more. What's that life? We don't know what that's like. You know why? Because everything we call life has been stained and soiled with these very things. Mourning, pain, crying, Death. Someone, sometimes somebody will ask me this. So how many funerals have you done in your ministry, Pastor? You know, the answer is I don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you each one feels like too many. But in my preparation and prayers for this message, I just jotted off the top of my heart some deep memories about parents who, who lost children. That has to be the one, if not the deepest grief of life. And I've shared too many of those with too many parents in my ministry here. And I was just thinking through. Each story has a name, a drowning, a disease, a, war, a water sport tragedy, a car accident, war, drugs, some the victim of someone else's criminal behavior. How does God bring justice to those kind of losses? Well, in this kind of world, uh, we define justice as punitive. Somebody's got to pay. Punitive. But imagine this. We're being invited in to to where God does restorative justice. So imagine having your loved one with you never to fear losing them ever, period. Emotion without fear, ever. No, I mean it. Um, No fear, not just a t-shirt, not just a decal. No fear of pain, of mourning, of crying. And in the new heaven, you've never seen anything like this. In the new earth, oh my goodness, All things are being made new. The old order has passed away. And to that point, 
what is new is also true. He says, verse 5, write this down. Can you imagine John? Or write this down. Okay, I got it right here. These words are trustworthy and true. Why does that matter? Man, it is so hard to know who to trust, isn't it? This world. But in the place that Jesus has prepared for us, <laughs> words can be trusted. Words are trustworthy and true. Why is that? Well, part of the reason is they're God's words. And God is not man that he should lie. He's telling us the truth. Another reason is because of God's deeds. Because what God speaks shows up in his actions. And here, verse 6, he says, it is done. And then God, acting as Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, is putting closure on a chapter that is done. It is done done. And then he says, now is the time of refreshing and hydrating for every seeking thirsty soul. And there is no price attached. This is free living water. Another reason is that that place is full of overcomers. Verse 7, the true sons of God, it says. Now, um, sisters, don't get offended that that says sons of God. Because you know what God is doing here? He's treating every person as if they were the firstborn son. Just as Jesus is the firstborn among many, God has the capacity to treat every one of his image bearers, redeemed by the blood of his son, filled by the power of his spirit, as if they were a firstborn son in that culture with all of the authority, rights, and privileges it means. And another reason, and that's what overcomer means, um, another reason is that no sin is allowed here. In heaven, no sin's allowed. And then he offers a sin list. Um, not an exhaustive one, <laughs> but just a representative one of what sin does when it's practiced in human beings. You know what it does? It leaves us cowardly, afraid. It leaves us unbelieving, doubting, skeptic. It leaves us vile, murderous, sexually immoral, turning to magic arts, idolatrous, liars. This is the stuff of death. He's saying, this is stuff of death. And you know what? That's all gone to the second death already. Lake of fire, that's not going to get in. No sin allowed in heaven. It's not allowed to spread its death in this place with these people anymore. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that is new and it is true and nobody's at risk of anything less. Now, I want to hit the pause button just for a second and offer a personal comment based on the fact that we, did you see the story of the West Point cadets that bought some street drugs? They came to South Florida. I suppose they were just going to have a good time, and they bought what they thought was cocaine from a street drug dealer, and when they took it, it wound up being fentanyl, and immediately... Hearts stopped doing what they're supposed to do. And two others, so four overdosed on Friday. Four overdoses right here, our South Florida neighborhood, street drugs on our streets. It's spring break. People want to go have fun. They're taking a break. They take a pill, and it takes, all, it takes, it takes their life. They're fighting for their lives right now. Now, why am I telling you that? When he says magic arts, did you know magic arts in the ancient days were always accompanied with some sort of drug use that would induce a stupor of a kind. 
And I'm saying today, okay, we may not practice magic arts, though that's on the rise during COVID. We've, we talked about that last week. But there's a whole lot of drug abuse and drug-induced stupor that is still placing lives at risk. Even if you are a West Point cadet in an athlete's body, who thinks, I'm just gonna do some, I'm just gonna have some fun. So why am I telling you that? Young people, teenagers, it's your spring break. Okay, we're not all clueless about that, and that some wanna have fun, and you may just be invited into a situation where you would put something into your body that isn't what you think it is, and it will not leave you the way that you hope it will. So my pastoral word to you, and discount this and throw it away if you want to, but I hope you don't. Don't do anything stupid this week. It's spring break. We celebrate you. We love you. And God says, I'm not going to let anything get into my heaven that is going to hurt people that I love. And you, I want you to hear your pastor say the same thing. We don't want anything getting into your life that is going to hurt people we love. And into this church that's going to hurt people that we love. That we love you. And we want, so that means, what that means is, because we want to say yes to you, we say no, just like God does, to things that take lives away. You feel that? I hope you do. And, uh, and that you will, because in true, here's what it says, Jesus is preparing a place for you that's true. That means it's real, it's authentic, it's unadulterated, it, it's full of life. It's not going to promise you something and deliver you death. It's true. It's new, and it's full of value. Oh, my soul. It, um, these overcomers are inheriting it all. He says that you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. He just has it for you because he's good. And those overcomers are those who stand firm to the end. They got their faith Nikes on, and they are running the race full on. And as a result, I'll run through these real quick. Here's what you get. If your name's on the Lamb Book of Life, you're an overcomer. You get access to eat from the tree of life. More about that next week. Escape from the fire. Uh, a special name, a special new name. That means God helps you clarify your identity for eternity in him for Authority over nations, five, inclusion in the book of life, six, being a pillar in God's spiritual temple. He literally builds his future around his pillars. That's what he's saying. He's built with you in mind. And then seven, sitting on the throne with Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. What is that? You know the church that Jesus said, you're making me sick. I want to spit you out of my mouth. I, you know, I'm just nauseated with what you're doing right now. That's the church that he promises this. You're going to share my throne. If you'll listen to me and turn around and you come back, oh my goodness, I'm not going to want to spit you out. I'm going to want to sit right there with you. That's that church. Church of Laodicea, Revelation 3.21. I believe all of that is about God sharing God's dwelling place in the holy city as his royal partner. Imagine this. It's like Cinderella used to be a dirty orphan girl, but now she is becoming a royal bride of the king to share rule with him. That's the image that we're being given. Now, guys, don't get snagged on that. This is a metaphor that's talking about being happy together with God in his ruling authority and his love more closely than you've ever known. And Jesus said, my father's house is going to be full of love, and then it's going to have many mansions. This next section, 21, gives us some dimensions 
and some construction materials for the city, quality mansions. Remember, this is all symbolic language, but eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared. But God is giving John some visual images to stretch his imagination and ours to its limits. So what do they look like? Well, it shines with the glory of God, with brilliance that dazzles like jasper as crystal. And then he sees this high city wall. The city, that means it's absolutely secure. Nothing can get over that wall. And then it has 12 gates. 12 is the number of completeness. That means it's completely accessible. All the entrances are there with 12 angels as greeters. Sorry, Simon Peter. <laughs> Simon Peter will not be greeting you at the gate. He says there are angels assigned to that duty. And then there are three gates on the north, on the east, on the west, on the south. And on those gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. What does that mean? Well, God's original covenant people of faith reminding us that we enter into God's space through the story of his people of faith with the saints of the Old Testament. But then look what happens next. At the wall, he says, I looked at the wall. It had 12 foundations, and each foundation has the names of the apostles on it. Like, this is a community of the new covenant. So we enter into God's space through the story of the old, but standing on the testimony of the faith of those who followed the Lamb. And the angel had a measuring rod. It was gold. And did you notice he said that they were measuring according to the measurements of man? What's that? Well, he's building a place for you. He's preparing a place for you. It's got you in mind. Measuring it out for you. And so then the city was made like a cube. The measurements of all of these uh, are multiples of 12. That's the number of completeness and of God's people. 12 apostles, 12 tribes, you get it. And saying, so the message is what? There's room enough in this place for all of the complete population of God's people. 12,000 stadia, that's 1,400 miles, literally, in length and in width and in height. So the New Jerusalem is a perfect cube. Huh. That's the same shape as the Holy of Holies in the temple. Only the Holy of Holies was 30 by 30 by 30, but the heavenly city is a perfect cube just like the Holy of Holies. What is God saying? Ah, you're going to live with me in my space, and we will experience my perfection together. The walls are made of, well, the walls are 144 cubits thick. That's 200 feet, solid and secure. Nothing's getting through this thing. The foundations, I imagine they're like stacked pancakes. You know, I don't know what they look like, but like layers of magnificent precious stones, 12 varieties. Don't ask me to repeat those names again. I did look those up, and I tried my best to pronounce them the right way, you know, first time around. Um, but it's interesting that Dr. Newport says that these jewels were associated with the signs of the zodiac, only difference in John's vision is that they are reversed in their order. What is, what's happening here? Oh, wait. Maybe the God who made the stars is now turning them aright and allowing us to walk on them that we might reflect his glory and not the lesser glories of our sinfulness. And then... My study showed that scholars really don't know what those colors are. You're trying to figure out, well, what are the colors? Show us a picture. We don't know. We got some ideas, but we don't know, really. 
And I think that's cool too. <laughs> because the holy city is a place of magnificent majesty and mystery to be explored, to be discovered. And each gate of the city is made of a single pearl, 12 humongous. How big are the city gates in Coral Gables? Each gate into this city is a huge single pearl. And then the streets are made of pure gold, transparent like glass. Now I checked, March 2nd of this month, the cost of an ounce of gold was $1,935 US, one ounce. But the vision says God's paving the streets with that stuff and using it as construction material in the city that he's preparing for you. You see it? Do you feel this? Do you know the quality? What he's trying to say, this vision is so awesomely cool. It is completely incomparable in its quality, perfection, measure, and design. And it's been made with you in mind. No temple, no sun, no moon. Why? Because in our new spirit body, maybe we'll talk about that in our final message, in our new spirit body, we're living with God as our light. He's our source of life. There's no sacred and secular dividing lines in this true city because the true God is known by all in his fullness of truth. And he's the life and light of all. And you know what? Just when you thought it sounded like too out there, preacher, come on. This like, that doesn't sound like home to me. You humble human being, you. I mean, I relate to that. But verse 24, he says, the nations and the kings of the earth bring their splendor into it. Verse 25, the glory and honor of the nations, of all the ethnicities, will be brought in to this great heavenly city. The great human achievements, masterpieces of art, music, culture, accomplishment. It's like right there in the middle of this amazingly magnificent city, God has a huge, big refrigerator door and on it, he's got all these things that his offspring has produced. All the honorable stuff. You know, the dishonorable didn't make it in. It's, that's the second death. That's, the, that's the, the trash heap outside the city. But here God brings the honor of the nations. Nothing impure is allowed in. No one who does what is shameful or deceitful but those who belong to the Lamb. When my oldest daughter was little, she had a, a very special toy to her. And, um, oh wait, that's not my daughter. <laughs> Those are her children. Have you seen my grandsons for a while? I, yeah, that's uh, Cedar, he's three. West is now seven. If you guys are watching right now, I hope you feel your pop's love. Um, and I did get your mom's permission before I put your likeness on a screen, so... God bless you. Oh, okay, thanks for the timeout just for a second. But when Corey was little, she had a favorite toy. She simply called him Pink. It was a stuffed animal, Pink Panther. Long pink tail, you know. And she, Pink went everywhere with her. She, she took him inside, outside, in the car, in the van, at the table at the mealtime, watching TV. When it was time to go to bed, Pink also went to bed. Uh, just, I, and, and I don't, I couldn't, if she didn't, if she didn't have him with her and couldn't remember where he was. She'd get upset about it. You know, we'd all have to go on an APB for pink and then get, get pink back in the space because 
when Pink was there, wherever she was, she knew she was in her space. Wherever her space was. Jesus said, I'm, I'm prepared a place for you. And you're going to feel like you're right in your space. Because I'm building it with you in mind. But there's no sin allowed in heaven. Now that presents a problem for me. Because I have sin in my life. I have sin in my mind. I have sin in my past. I have sin in my heart. I have sin in my memories. Other people sin against me. And then that pain from that sin gets lodged in my soul. And yet God says, I got this place for you, but there's no sin allowed, Bill. So you know what I'm going to ask the Lord to do? Can we just have a little exception to the rule, Lord? What do you think he's going to say? God is too holy to lie. God is too just to be corrupt. He's pure. So he makes a way where Bill can't make a way. Maybe you share my problem. No sin allowed in heaven. You going to get in? Not without help. And that's what that pearly gate's all about. Too many jokes about this. Here's the truth. Jesus is the way in. You know how a pearl is formed? When an irritant that is not supposed to be long gets into an oyster and starts creating its irritation, what does the oyster do? Covers it with itself. Just covers it with itself. Just covers it and covers it and covers it with itself and a transformation takes place that the irritation has now become something of transformation. And sin has been overcome by the covering. And I'm thinking, you know, those pearly gates, John, John sees this vision, and I'm thinking, John is saying, you know what? That pearl becomes a doorway. That pearl that has transformed the irritation becomes a doorway into the heavenly city. Jesus is the oyster. He has taken your sin, your irritation, your mistakes, your failures, mine, my sin, my rebellion, my pride. He's taken all of it into himself. It doesn't belong there, but here's what an oyster does. It just covers that with itself. And the gospel story tells us that the God-man is big enough to do something that this little man can't. He covers it. And that's the way I'm getting in. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But I can say, Lord, cover me. <laughs> you got me covered? This is your way in too, friend. In fact, Jesus told a story. He said, there was a guy who found a field that had a great pearl on it. And he said he sold everything he had so that he could have that pearl. Because the value that that pearl was going to bring to his life was something that was more valuable than anything else he ever had possessed in his whole life. And when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we discover the same thing. He will bring value 
Would you pray with me? Maybe this is your day to say, Lord, cover me. Cover me with yourself. I cannot do it by myself. I've got sin in me. It's in my mind. It's in my heart. It's in my soul. It's in my life. And then just when I think I've conquered it, it shows up again. So apart from your grace and your goodness, I'm not getting in, but I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that on the cross, you took all of my sin upon yourself. Are you praying with me? This is the way to pray. Lord, thank you that on the cross, you took my sin into yourself, and you covered it with yourself. And then you emerged from that shell of a grave with a brand new transforming opportunity of value so that now through that pearl I can find my way into your kingdom is that where he's calling you today sister, brother get right with God and friend maybe this is your first time to see it so clearly that God has said to you there's what I want you to see right here you asked me earlier, here it is How do you get your name on that Lamb's book? You give him your irritant called sin and let him cover it for you. And then receive the gift of salvation by his grace. You can do it right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Cover me with your blood. Fill me with your spirit. I receive you as my Savior. If you prayed that prayer with me, our heads are still bowed for a moment, but you would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith. Would you simply raise your hand wherever you're seated? Keep it up for a little while so that I won't miss anybody. If you're joining us online, please just check right there. I just prayed, Bill, uh, and let us pray with you. Just put it right there in the chat so that we can likewise thank you. To my left in the back, I'm seeing one, two hands on the amen. And then right here to my right up front, two more hands. God bless you. For those joining us online, we're all praying for one another right now. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying, my heart is open, my soul is thirsty, and I'm receiving you as the water of life, my Savior. May they feel the refreshing of your spirit in joy and peace as we make this prayer in your name.